Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is focusing on a topic that has not been talked about yet on the Puberty Prof Podcast, and that is the topic of pregnancy. Pregnancy is usually a topic that is raised when we're talking to children about their bodies going through these changes of puberty because... One of the reasons why we go through puberty is to become this adult-sized person, and that means that a lot of us will be able to have babies if we choose to. Oftentimes, when we talk about puberty and other growing up changes, young people ask questions about how babies are born, how twins are made, what happens in utero as a baby develops, etc., in which this episode covers some of this. To help me talk about this topic, I invited a former student of mine, Mackenzie Bradley, to join me. Mackenzie teaches children and youth about life skills and physical education in the Midwest. She was also pregnant when this recording took place. And now, weeks later, and upon this episode's release, I need to congratulate her and her partner on the birth of her beautiful baby. Congratulations. Also, just to let you know, Mackenzie and the baby are doing well. So welcome to the world, baby Lorena Joe. On another note, before you listen in to the recorded conversation I had with Mackenzie, I need to raise the topic of the variety of types of families that exist in our world. Although an actual baby is created by two cells associated with a biological male and a biological female, and those two cells are a sperm and an egg, we need to remind you that there are many different types of families. Some families do have a mom and dad. Other families include step-families, single-parent families, families with two moms or two dads, households that include one or more family members from different generations, adoptive families, foster families, and families where children are raised by their grandparents or other relatives, etc., If your young person asks about different types of families, or if you want to encourage better understanding that babies live with and are loved within a variety of families, consider reading books together. Books include The Family Book by Todd Parr. Actually, this author has written a whole bunch of books that are child-friendly on a variety of health-related topics. There's also Families, Families, and Families by Suzanne Lang and Max Lang. There's the book, Stella Brings the Family. And this is a book in which Stella has two dads, but no mom that she lives with. There's also the the great big book of families, My Family and Your Family, as well as so many other books that, that exist. So please consider reading a book together and talking about the different types of families that exist. So without any further ado, Here is the recording I had with Mackenzie Bradley on basic things we talk to children about regarding pregnancy. Thanks for being here and enjoy listening in. 
To help me out talking about this topic on pregnancy, I have Mackenzie Bradley, who is an educator in Minnesota, and I'm going to have her tell you a little bit about herself. And I am super duperly excited to have her here because she's actually a former student of mine. So thank you so much for being here today, Mackenzie. Do you want to say hi to our audience and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Well, hello, everyone. First off, thanks for taking your time to listen to this episode. And Lori, thanks for inviting me to be a part of this episode. Uh, my name is Mackenzie Bradley. Uh, as Lori mentioned, I am FIAD Health uh, and Adapted PE teacher. I currently teach in Minnesota and am on my second year teaching. I'm learning every day as I get to learn from students and teach from students. Uh, the main variety of students that I work with are students at risk. And so a lot of that just incorporates small groups. A lot of health education with trauma-informed care is, is really valued at, at the position I'm at. Um, and I also get to teach adapted PE to students in pre-K through 12th grade. So I get a large variety. I enjoy learning and love the, the resources that Lori Reichel has developed. And just, I personally am expecting my first child in a couple of months. So I was happy to help her out with this episode. So we're going to have this unique experience with Mackenzie in which she's currently pregnant and she's already getting questions from her students of a variety of ages. So at one point, I'm going to have her share a little bit about what they're asking so you can get an idea of what, when you're pregnant, what you might be asked. I also have to say a little side note, Mackenzie is such a star educator. When she was an undergraduate, she was Shape America's Undergraduate Student of the Year, correct? Yeah, health PE and uh, yeah, health and PE. It was the Ruth Abernathy Presidential Award. You were always a star student. You always wanted to understand and go into the depthness. It wasn't like, okay, I have to do this class and get out of here. Mackenzie always, always wanted to ensure that she learned as much as she could. And then she's applying everything she can to her students because we regularly have conversations about how things are going and what I'm teaching and what she's teaching. So it's really great to stay connected with her. Thank you so much for being here today, Mackenzie. And let's jump into this topic of pregnancy. Now, overall, for those of you that have children, expect to, like I said earlier, expect children and preteens and teens to start talking about how people get pregnant and all that. Because when we're talking about their genitals, one of the reasons why their genitals mature and other internal parts mature is for potentially having a child in the future. So we're going to go through all this stuff that children typically ask about these pregnancies. And I'm using the framework from my book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, Insights from a Nationally Recognized Health Education Expert. That's the one I wrote, and that was written when I gathered all of these questions that my former students had asked me, and I put them in an order, and then I supply age-appropriate answers. Some of this is also on the Talk Puberty app that I created, so check that out too. So we're going to go through the sections that are from the book, though, the Common Questions book, and we're going to start with the questions that children typically ask dealing with common ways pregnancy occurs. Mackenzie, do you want to start off the conversation with that? Yeah, of course. So you were talking about sperm and egg, and just uh, one of the common ways is an egg is from a, from a female and a sperm is from a male. And so for a female to get pregnant, uh, the male is to ejaculate a semen, which has sperm, into the female's vagina. 
And so the sperm travels to the cervix, the opening of the uterus, and finds an egg to fertilize it. Um, there are also a couple other ways, which include in vitro fertilization, um, and that's just done in a laboratory, which to combine an egg and sperm outside of the female's body. There's some basic steps included, and some eggs being removed from a female's ovary, then fertilized in a sterilized container and dish, um, and then it's placed back in the female's uterus. It's just kind of often depends on what the the really the couple is is comfortable with and things that work for them, and not everything will work for everyone. Now, some children flat out ask when we're talking about puberty, like, how does the sperm and the egg meet? And Mackenzie had just noted that we need the sperm being released by an erect penis, and then it has to enter somehow into the vaginal canal. And that typically, and this is where you as a caregiver can figure out what values you want to share with your child. If you choose to share that this is something that couples do when they love each other, And if it's a heterosexual couple where there's a mom and a dad, you can say this is something that mom and dad does, and we show that we love each other. Other people, other caregivers will flat out say, well, it means that the penis will be inserted into the vagina, and that's one form of sex. Now, I understand some parents might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about that or say those words, yet that is how most pregnancies occur. Not all, like Mackenzie said. I think. A common maybe misconception for young adolescents or students is maybe just like they think it's an instant thing that can happen pregnancy mm-hmm. when there's a lot of factors that are involved with it. Um, just the process where the female is at in their menstrual cycle and if the sperm has actually traveled up through all the different parts to be able to, to penetrate into an egg. I'm so glad that you raised that because the reality is just because the sperm was released into the the vagina doesn't mean it's going to be an instant pregnancy. It might mean that there won't be any pregnancy and it deals with the menstrual cycle of that person that's having the menstrual cycle. So sometimes they're more, they're more likely to get pregnant and other times they're not little fun fact. Even if a person hasn't had their first menstrual cycle, they can still get pregnant if they engage in this intercourse, that's when the penis goes into the vagina for this pregnancy, it could still occur if the intercourse occurred within a certain period of time of their first menstrual cycle. Some of the other questions that kids will ask about about pregnancy, I I have to bring up this one. When a child is like, so a baby is in the stomach, right? That's where it develops. Is that true, Mackenzie? That is not true. The baby is actually grown in the uterus. Most children perceive that the baby is growing in the stomach. And so, um, for example, some of the students I teach with autism are, where's the baby? And they have a hard time understanding that it's growing in in an organ in my uterus. And that is a hard concept for them to understand. So it does push on the stomach. So it's not in the stomach, it's beside, correct? Correct, yeah. Some other questions that kids ask go into this whole concept of twins. So how are fraternal twins created? Yeah, so fraternal twins occur when there's two different sperm that fertilize fertilize two different eggs. And so they come from two separate eggs. Um, Actually, I'm a fraternal twin. And so my sister and I are both fraternal. That is because we came from two different eggs. 
So that means that your mom, before she got pregnant, had released two different eggs and each of those eggs were fertilized by a different sperm. And that makes the fraternal part. Correct. So what's the difference between fraternal twins and identical twins? Yeah. So identical twins occur when there's one egg that's fertilized and it splits into two parts. So one egg, one sperm, and then the egg splits into two. And then how about triplets? Yeah. And then triplets occur when there's three eggs and three sperm, um, one sperm per egg. And something that's a little bit less common is for identical triplets, where there's one egg that splits into three parts, but that's typically less common. Do you know of any other questions that kids would ask about twins or triplets? A lot of times kids assume just because they're twins, they should look exactly alike. Um, and, and they don't. And there's some identical twins that don't really look alike. And there's some fraternal twins that look a lot alike that um, people may think they're identical. Interesting. So now if we can go down the road that you're pregnant, can you tell us when when somebody thinks they're pregnant, how can they make sure that they are? Like if they're wondering, how does someone know that they're pregnant? Yeah. So one of the first signs that someone may know they're pregnant is if their menstrual cycle is on a regular cycle, they have a missed period. And so their monthly period does not occur, but the, what it needs to be confirmed by is a pregnancy test. So that's usually the very first and more definite answer. And so once the pregnancy test um, is used, which a pregnancy test, it just analyzes the urine of a female for a particular chemical, um, which is found in the urine when a female is pregnant. And so um, it changes the, the pregnancy test a little bit different color than if the chemical was not in, in the female's body. Other than that, once you have a positive pregnancy test, then that is confirmed by a, a medical professional a physician, and they will confirm that, that the female is pregnant. And there are services that exist for, if you don't have a lot of money for that test, there are clinics and all that you can go and get tested. So feel free to check those out if you're curious about that. So do you remember, and, and please, Mackenzie, for this podcast, you have the right to pass, just like in the health class, you always have the right to pass on any questions. Do you remember when you discovered you were pregnant? Like how you figured it out? Like, did you feel it beforehand or what? Yeah. In our situation with my husband, uh, we were both trying to, to get pregnant. So we kind of had an inkling if I did miss, I did miss my, my period. And so that was kind of the first sign. And then we waited a little bit just because sometimes if you check too early, it's not always like very clear on the pregnancy tests. And so um, we actually took two and then both were, were positive. And so uh, my partner and I were very excited about that. Were you like, what? Did you hug? Did you scream? Shock? Um, both of us are very even keel. And so we're just uh, excited, but in a pretty low key way. And then did you tell family members and friends, like what was their reaction? Yeah, we chose to wait to tell our family members um, until probably about eight or 10 weeks, just because chances of miscarriages can, can be genetic. And that kind of runs in my family. And so we decided just to wait and, and enjoy the news between the two of us. And then I believe my twin sister was probably the most excited out of all my family members. Cause she's going to be an aunt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I love being an aunt. I have the most wonderful nephew. So I just love being an aunt. 
what does a pregnant person need to do when they get pregnant? Like, what are some of the things that you've done? Yeah. So when you find out you're pregnant, just schedule or just call in to, to your local clinic and each clinic or state might have different protocols as far as how often they need to be seen or when appointments need to be. And so that was kind of the first step, just kind of get a general appointment in, and then they kind of actually at the first appointment, they gave us this book of pregnancy and it just kind of lists week by week, different symptoms, different things to expect from the day that it's conceived to the day the child is born and after. And so that's where a lot of the information has come from. When, when pregnant, I just think of, I, for me personally, it's like, okay, you're trying to, to, you know, raise this or develop this child in your body. And so how can I manage my, my body and take care of my body the best way I can? And to me, that's just trying my best to live an overall well-balanced lifestyle. Um, just like anyone at any age, just to take care of their, their social, mental, emotional, physical health, uh, mental health, all of that. Try, I try to combine when being pregnant, it's especially more so I think when you're, you're raising a, a child. And so for me, just making sure I get an appropriate amount of sleep, I, I feel more exhausted with being tired. And so if children ask, oh, you look tired today, Mrs. Bradley. I just kind of, kind of go with it, but it's funny how they make <laughs> with that. So definitely more, more exhausted. So uh, making sure I stick to a bedtime routine and get the hours of sleep I need. Um, and then eating well-balanced meals. There's um, a lot of nutrients that are going into developing a child. And so sometimes not all the nutrients are able to be um, absorbed just with a regular diet. So a lot of physicians might prescribe like a prenatal vitamin. And so that's something that I've been taking uh, even before pregnancy, just to help develop the, the banks of the nutrients and vitamins and minerals. But overall, just making sure I eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, proteins, and then other things I, I like to stay active. And that's actually encouraged during pregnancy. <laughs> a lot of the students are like, How, you shouldn't be doing this, Mrs. Bradley. This is this is too fast for you. And I said, no, actually exercise is, is very healthy for pregnancy. It, you know, a, it can prepare you for labor, labor and childbirth, but it's also something that just helps your body stay fit and healthy. And it improves my mental health as well. Just there's things that I don't really do like contact sports. And so basketball, for example, I say, make sure you say my name before you pass me the ball. So I'm, I'm ready to catch it. And usually the students are very understanding that you're growing a, a human being inside of you. And so they're extra cautious around you. But just being open and honest with them of, you know, I'm trying to take care of myself to as we're growing this human being. And so they uh, get pretty involved with that as well, as far as making sure I'm safe. So a couple of questions for you. Do you have any weird cravings? Not as much as a lot of people may perceive during pregnancy, I guess for me, um, early on, maybe cheese was more of my go-to <laughs> cheese and crackers is what sounded good, but okay. there's nothing that I've had to run to the store to get because I've craved so intensely. And then how about for sleeping? I would think since you have this, this little one growing in your uterus, that if you used to sleep on your stomach, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. So I, I'm actually usually a back sleeper and they, they okay. encourage not to sleep on your back because it does restrict a certain blood vessel uh, that has blood supply to the, 
to the baby. And so they encourage you to sleep on your preferably your left side, um, but one of the sides would be recommended. And so I've tried to train myself to sleep on my left or right side. So another thing that a lot of pregnant people definitely are recommended not to do is use tobacco products, marijuana, alcohol, all that kind of stuff, because anything that goes into like the pregnant person's body, it goes into the child. So side note, I know that some people say, oh yeah, that's common sense, but others don't realize that substances like tobacco and marijuana actually are not healthy and they are drugs and they're not healthy for a growing fetus in there and a, and a baby. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And they say that right away at one of the uh, first appointments is there's any alcohol, tobacco, or other drug use. Um, not only while you're you're pregnant, but also while trying to conceive, it can also interfere with the ability to conceive as well. Um, there are also some research that show that some people using tobacco or marijuana can induce like preterm labor as well. So it can po- pose the pregnancy at a higher risk when using certain types of drugs. Thanks for adding that in. Now, let's talk a little bit about how a baby is born. And there are different ways that a baby can be born. There's basically two main ways. And one is the vaginal delivery. And then the other is a C-section. Do you want to talk about either of those? Yeah, I can just briefly describe um, between the vaginal delivery. It's kind of self-explanatory in that sense in which the baby is being pushed through the female's vaginal opening. Some I think some, I was just talking to a male the other day that was just, I don't understand how, how that works. And basically they, they have a hard time. I said that, that it is, there is some opening with that. And with the cervix as well, it dilates and your body prepares um, itself to be able to have a baby born through the vaginal opening. And so um, just from those who identify as female and those who identify as male, I think it's easier for females to maybe understand that concept. In which for that, for that vaginal birth, so the baby is in the uterus and the opening of the uterus is actually the cervix. And that's where after like to get pregnant, the sperm is released in the vaginal opening typically, and then it has to travel through the cervix into the uterus. So now for the delivery, it's okay. We have this, this uterus that has a baby, the cervix has to gradually open and it's only by some centimeters, but is it like up to nine centimeters for delivery? Nine or 10 centimeters. Yeah. Okay. So, and then that baby is actually pushed through that cervix out through the vaginal canal. And then it comes out through the opening of the vaginal canal, which is the vulva area. That's where the labia is and everything. So the baby is born through that. So, and that's usually done over a period of time. And this is where you might watch a movie and you hear that push, push, or a woman's like, oh, okay, uh, trying to do some breathing. And that's the vaginal delivery. What is the C-section about? Yeah. So the C-section is where the doctor makes an incision on the lower abdominal muscles. So lower belly area of the mother, and they just cut through their skin, um, the muscles in the uterus. And then the baby is then lifted out through the opening by the doctors. And after the baby is delivered, it's still attached to the umbilical cord. And then it has to, that has to be cut. The umbilical cord is cut and that's what creates our belly buttons. 
whether you're an innie and Audi or a mixture of the two. And then the placenta also has to be removed. The placenta is what basically the growing fetus, eventually the baby is surrounded by, as well as the fluids to help it continue to grow and have the nutrients. So have you decided how you're going to have your baby yet? Yeah. And I think towards the last couple of appointments, we'll get more of the birth plan underway. But as of now, I'd like to have a vaginal birth. And we've, they've kind of talked about different like pain medications that can be used as well. And that's totally up to the individual as feel, as far as what they feel is best for them and the situation. And so um, right now that's the plan. And then I would just like to start with that. And then obviously have a backup plan if, if something changes. In which if you're going to have a, an, it's called a natural childbirth, that you actually have the vaginal birth, that if you choose to do that, you also go to classes for that, correct? Correct. Yes. And I have my ske- classes scheduled for about a month before the baby's due. And so both my, my husband and I are going to go to that. Excellent. Some side notes here that you can have babies in a variety of locations. Some people have give birth at hospital. Some go to more of a, like a pregnancy clinic or something like that. And it might be a room that is just for births. Some people give birth at home. My former roommate actually did give birth at home. Uh, This was many years ago uh, when I had moved in with two other women, one woman had announced within a couple of months that she was pregnant and that she wanted to have a home birth. So I actually was there in another room as she was giving birth. And she had gotten like a pool that she would sit in at times. And there was a midwife that helped with the delivery. So it doesn't have to be this one way of having birth. So there's a lot of varieties out there. And like Mackenzie alluded to, it goes by your choice, what you feel comfortable with. Mackenzie, can you tell us a little bit more about how your current students are asking questions or how they're they're talking with you about this pregnancy? Like what is sometimes an experience that's going to happen once a child sees somebody is pregnant? How might they act or what might they say? Yeah. And so this was kind of a fun part when we were talking about um, getting this episode put together. And I kind of broke it down into just the different age levels And I get, I literally teach uh, pre-K through 12th grade. So I see the whole range and starting at the elementary level, uh, a lot of these students are just very literal. They um, just kind of ask what, what it is, where it is. So for example, one of my elementary students in, in third grade, um, I hadn't told this, this group of students yet. And they, he points to my stomach and says, why is that bigger? And that was his way of kind of noticing something. And I said, well, I'm having a baby. And then they got like super excited and started asking questions as, well, when's the baby coming? And, you know, does it move every time you move? And is it a boy or is it a girl? And they just kind of went on to asking all these different questions. And it's it's just fun to, to hear that actually one of the elementary students says, I can't wait for Mrs. Bradley to have her baby. I, I hope I get to be the godfather. <laughs> so it's just, they're, they're so literal, but, but curious. And I just try my best to be open and answer to them in age appropriate ways, as far as what it might look like to them and just little things to be cautious of 
uh, around me or just others who they may see are, are pregnant. And one of the students says, right after the student asks, why is that getting bigger? The student right next to him proceeds to go and reach and touch my belly. And I said, no, ask first, just reminding them of consent and not everyone's okay being touched. And so just kind of little, little lessons in, in that way where they're, they're excited, which makes me kind of excited as well for them, not well for them just to experience maybe their teacher going through that, which not all of them get to. So since you said that you have these children that want to touch your, your abdomen area, your belly area, do you also have adults that think they could touch that area? Yes, I feel uncomfortable with that. I'm not a very uh, touchy person, especially when it's people I don't know. And they re- literally just reach their arm out and touch my belly. I just kind of shake my head and yeah, and I don't really say much, but I've had a couple that have asked and I say, thanks for asking. Yep. Again. <laughs> Because I want to bring that up that if you see somebody who's pregnant, you do need to ask for permission. This is consent to ask for permission if it's okay that you touch them in any way, if you give them a hug, that kind of thing. Because I know Mackenzie and I know she is not this, oh, let me give a hug right away. And that's okay. She doesn't want to be hugged. She doesn't want to be touched. So we need to respect that. Another thing, and I think I remember this through a phone conversation that we had or through the email when we were communicating, you had said a student made a comment that your child would be good with sports? Yeah. So I was playing catch with a student. This was one of my adapted PE students. So it was a little bit more one-on-one time and I was playing catch with him with a football and he goes, Mrs. Bradley, your baby's going to be so good at sports. And I said, is that so? And he goes, yeah, because every time your arms move up to catch the ball, your baby is just following you and has its arms up to move to catch the ball as well. And so and this elementary student, uh, he also had autism and his perception was the baby's mimicking everything I'm doing. And so I thought that was kind of a cute phrase that he said. And which to clear up some, some other curiosities by people. I mean, the baby can move when it's in utero, like as it grows, you might feel the baby moving around. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Typically, you can start feeling movement around 20 weeks, depending on the individual. And sometimes, like if depending upon the activity that you're doing, the baby might be moving or like if you're sitting there in which has your partner felt the baby move around a little bit if he's touched your your abdomen area? Yeah, he has. And he was pretty excited the first time he felt uh, the baby move. It seems to be more often when I'm um, sitting and real like it's kind of getting a little bit more frequent now or rhythmical, I guess, as far as certain time of the days when the baby moves. Okay. How about your middle school students? How are they handling things and what are they asking you? Yeah. So the middle school, it's, it's interesting to see that jump. And when I say middle school, the middle school ages that I teach are sixth through eighth grade. And so these students, you know, try to play it a little bit more cool, but you can tell they're curious they won't really directly ask me questions, but other staff members have come up to me and say, yeah, this student came up to me and this one student wanted to race me in our fitness unit. And so I raced them down the hallway and the student told another staff member, yeah, Mrs. Bradley's fast. And then the, the staff member says, well, you know, she might not be able to do that much longer because she's having a baby. And the student goes, oh, she is. I just thought she was getting bigger. <laughs> and so it's, it's interesting how they, they see things, but they don't directly like ask. They just kind of think you're putting on weight. 
but then they kind of inquire more questions with, with the other staff members. So they've asked like, well, when is Mrs. Bradley going to have her baby or, you know, what, you know, what will that look like? Or I, she's, she seems bigger each day or something like that. And so it's um, kind of fun to hear what the staff have to say. And the, the particular population I work with are students at risk. And so a lot of them maybe have at-home trauma. They might have emotional behavior disorder, autism. And so some of these kids can show rather large behaviors. But what is so neat is that when they hear something, you know, like me being pregnant, they do have such a kind heart and just show empathy in these situations. And so they're just very caring and considerate and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to throw this to you because I don't want to hurt you or your baby, Mrs. Bradley. And so it's just neat to see that perspective or that side of them as well. That, that's so nice. It just shows that first you've made a positive connection with them, but children and youth are really, they really do have nice hearts. Even if they've gone through a lot of stuff, it seems like you're working with really wonderful young people. Absolutely. Well, any other stories that you have with the children? There's a couple I have, I might've mentioned this earlier too, students, and I I say students with autism because that's a larger population that I work with, but this particular one is a 12th grader and he um, would ask like, oh, you're having a baby and just understanding where it is, why can't I see it? And to me, I'm kind of looking at, okay, how do I answer this? Because he's not figuring out that this baby doesn't come at a snap of a fingers. Um, is it at home? No, the baby's not at home. It's, it's inside me. And just trying to teach him like more anatomy, you know, like uterus mm-hmm. versus stomach. And um, just working on them with like fitness things, you can teach them muscles like this is your biceps. These are your triceps. Here's your quadriceps. And maybe trying to connect in that way because this particular student is visual in that sense. And so that's been just kind of a learning experience on my end as far as how can I phrase this to help them understand best. Well, what recommendations do you have for caregivers about answering questions about pregnancy? Yeah. And so one of the, the biggest things I just, I find value in just being open and honest with what you're comfortable with and just having continuous conversations at different times may be helpful. Oftentimes people think there just has to be this one big talk that has to happen, but children are curious and want to know this information. And so sometimes small spurts at various times can be helpful and it's best coming from reliable resources and their trusted adults. And so if that's a teacher, if that's a coach, if that's a parent, an aunt, an uncle, whoever it is, just directing them to those sources to be able to get that information. And I too am still learning. I'm learning how to answer questions and I seek out many resources. For instance, Lori Reichel's wonderful podcast and and great resources, um, not only about pregnancy, but other puberty questions as well. So that's, that's what I would, I guess, have to say about recommendations. Great. And like you said, like it's sometimes you have to figure out how to answer questions. I understand that there are some people out there in the world that are like, just flat out answer the questions directly. You know, this is about science and children want to know about the science and say this. I recognize that not all parents and other caregivers are prepared for that. Like sometimes when a child asks a question, you're like, whoa, we're not expecting it. And then you're how you were taught wasn't necessarily in that way. Like you didn't ask, or you weren't told 
the honest truth about, well, there's a part that comes from somebody with a penis and a part that comes from somebody with an, with a vulva. And so it's an egg and a sperm that meet like you're allowed to take a break and step away from the conversation. Or if you're like thrown to say, okay, I got to come back to this. There are great books that are out there that explain this too. And they have these real cool visuals in the books and they're written for children to talk about this. So I do need to honor that all of us, we're coming from our own place. So if you do feel like going down the scientific route, you can go for it. If you're like, well, I want to go in pieces, they go in pieces. And typically children will help tell us if we, they want to know more information and if we have to go into more details. And it's always a great idea if you want to go into the science to show some visuals in which there's more like cartoon-like diagrams out there or just flat out drawn diagrams so your child doesn't have to explore on the internet on their own. I don't recommend that at all. But to answer questions about, yeah, this is what, this is what's going to go on. This is how the baby is made, et cetera, et cetera. Do you agree with that, Mackenzie? Like we all have to come from our own place? Oh, absolutely. I do agree with that based on you know who you are, what you grew up with. Maybe it's your religious beliefs. It's whatever you're comfortable with. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable talking about these, these things. Which, and I think that's more common than people perceive. Uh, I was trained in health education and there's times where I still feel uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And just learning how to present it in front of a small group of a small group of children or students, I find it easier to kind of discuss it with someone who I trust or, you know, for example, my sister or or mom or whoever that is. And then I can eventually, the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And you reminded me of something else. When I would do talks with young people about puberty and other sexuality topics, I sometimes would meet with parents and other caregivers beforehand. At times, a parent or other caregiver would ask the question, well, are you going to talk about sex? Now, what usually happens, this is my case, when we have a lesson on, you know, we're going through these puberty changes and usually a child will just flat out ask, so how is a baby made? And we don't even have to answer. Another child will say the word sex. And typically by the fourth, fifth grade level, most children have heard that word sex because it's all in the media and they might've heard it even in a song or something like that. So the word sex, when we're talking about pregnancy does deal with an act that can create a pregnancy. So do you have any other comments or thoughts before we end for today, Mackenzie? I just wanted to thank those for listening and for Lori Reichel, for you inviting me onto this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love always speaking with you, Mackenzie. It's always such a joy. And like I had said in the past, I hope we always stay connected. And I'm so excited about your pregnancy. And I wish you and your partner the best. I'm hoping to meet this little one in the future. I'm looking forward to that. And those of you that are interested in more questions that kids ask, feel free to check out the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. There's a whole section in there titled Questions About Pregnancy and Babies. And these, again, are questions that I was asked when I was teaching about puberty in the K through 12 setting. So there's a variety of questions in here, as well as age and developmentally appropriate answers. You can also get the Talk Puberty app when you go and check it out, you will see that there are other questions that children ask. That's one of the sections in addition to basic questions about puberty, questions about most girls, questions about most boys, 
Again, kids usually ask these questions when we're talking about puberty. They come up because why do we go through puberty? We become adults. And one day, if we choose to and are able to, we might have a baby. So with that, I thank you all for listening in. Again, Mackenzie, thank you so much for your time today. And if anybody has any questions or comments, feel free to reach out at pubertyprof.com. Thanks again. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.